glad to see everybody tonight. Uh, as you can tell from the slide, the lesson is on pride. When you think of pride in the Bible, one of the interesting things that I read that there's over 100 scriptures in the Bible, like 107, that use the words arrogance, pride, proud, haughty, conceit, or high-minded. Do you think it's pretty important to study pride from the standpoint of Proverbs? I would think so after all these verses. When, when we think about pride, a verse that I saw that when I did Isaiah before, it says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. You know, the, the people that are proud, just like all of us, need to understand that there's going to be a judgment day, isn't there? And the sin of pride will be taken down, won't it? It won't stand up. And Isaiah made that very clear for us. When we look at pride and we, we consider, I put on here, and you've already seen the first one, titles or notoriety. In 3 John 9, there was a guy named Diotrephes. What was his problem? I know it's pride. <laughs> I wouldn't have put him up there, right? He, he really wanted the preeminence, didn't he? He wanted to more or less be in charge. And it said in, in the New King James that he used malicious words and that he would make rulings on people in the congregation and even put some of them out or not let them in. So his pride overrode the church, the people in the church, and probably the influence on the outside. When you go a little farther and you think about Luke uh, 22, we see that in this chapter, not very long after this happens, According to the chapter, Jesus is about to be arrested, isn't he? And he's about to go through a trial and be condemned to die. And you've got the disciples worried about what? Who's going to be, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the greatest? I put a reference here, and I didn't put it up there. Matthew 23, 11, it says, but he who uh, looks, or, or looks at among you or who thinks he's the greatest among you shall be what? Your servant. And did they really comprehend that they were going to lose the Messiah? Did they think that probably it was going to be an earthly kingdom and, you know, help me out, make me third in charge or whatever else it is. But the problem is they were not even concerned about Jesus getting ready to die for our sins. 
and yet who's the greatest? You're all aware in Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar. He, here he is in charge of Babylon and he never gave the Lord credit for anything. And he said, basically, I'm the person that made Babylon what it is in Daniel 4. I'm the person that you can depend on because I'm in charge. And I've built this up. And what did he end up doing? Do you remember? Or a beast, wasn't he? He ended up eating grass like a beast, didn't he? Or like a cow. Because who's in charge of the affairs of man? God. And Nebuchadnezzar, just a, an example of a king. The Pharisees, as we all know, in, in chapter 23, the woe to the Pharisees, the factors that they did a lot of things, and the things that they did were for pomp and pageantry. They were to be seen of men rather than to understand that they needed to be seen by God, didn't they? And as a result, their pride overrode true worship, true allegiance to God. When you look at pride, in the Strong's Dictionary, it says arrogance, haughtiness, we, we know most of these, inflated with self-conceit. And when you do that and you take yourself as the primary person, what have you done with God? You took him out of the equation. You said, I know better. You said, I don't need God. Isn't that really what's happening for pride? An interesting verse says, Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So there's this part that says pride and arrogance doesn't have any kind of way with God. Any comments about this so far? If you look next, in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, I call these the companions of, of pride. It said, pride goes before destruction, which most of us have seen this verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What does the word haughty mean to us today? And I wrote down grandeur, you know, uh, arrogance, loftiness, trying to be raised above. When we have that kind of attitude, we're forgetting our roots, aren't we? We're forgetting who created us, who made us, and who wanted us to what? Be obedient, not to be in charge. And sometimes we forget that, and, and even as we get older, sometimes we get a little bit crotchety, don't we, about things. 
rather than saying God's in charge, we need to do our job. We need to study the Bible, be consistent with our Bible studies and, and with taking care of other Christians. The second one that I put up there is a proud and haughty man. The scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. Remember that haughtiness now and scoffing is part of this companion of pride in, in Proverbs 21-24. What do you see as a scoffer? Now we've got a haughty person and now we've got a scoffer. We talked about this a little bit before. Any comments on what a scoffer is? And a lot of times from a biblical standpoint, what Nate says is they, they think they're superior to you and they almost make fun of you and you being religious, let's just say, or your commitment to God. And with that, they actually become a fool, don't they? They don't understand that God's in charge. And not only making fun of religion and godly people, but looking at the whole issue saying, I'm better than them anyway. I know more than they do. That's a sad situation when we have people that are doing this because they can disrupt a lot of what goes on in, in church, can't they? Because they, they take it that they run the show, they know better than everybody. The last one I put on here is boasting, which you would think right off the bat with, with pride. It says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. What kind of person is that that's saying, I'll let somebody else make that choice. I'll let somebody else look and see what I've done and let he or she give me the praise. It's a humble person, isn't it? He, doesn't, he or she doesn't want the boasting, do they? How many times did Jesus do something, a miracle, and he says, don't tell anyone? You know, go, go away and don't tell anybody. How many times did he say, go, go and sin no more? We've got to understand that we will sin. Any comments about these? Just uh, for the scoffer, if you'll look at 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, 2 Peter. Second Peter 3 and 4. Really, um, I'll start at verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful, this is verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own what? Lust. And then in verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
verse 5, for they will willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Are we in the last days? Do we have scoffers? I'm not saying here. I'm saying scoffers out here. Sure we do. And we have to be careful, don't we? We have to be aware that it could happen and have to be aware of their attitudes. I think one thing to understand, though, too, is all of these have been there from the beginning of time. You know, from the, you know, even outside of the garden. You know, you go throughout time, you see different, you know, God's people being, you know, mistreated, whether scoffing or kings boasting or haughtiness and, and rulers and stuff like that, and that was their downfall. You know, even Herod, you know, when in different kings of that nature, that was things that defined who they were, but they paid for it. That's, a, that's an important point that that's why I put it in Isaiah. But you can take pride as far back as you want to with any of the kings and really look and find that sometimes... They went down the straight and narrow, but what happened? The riches, and we'll talk about some in a minute. They, they overcame all this, and all of a sudden, I'm better than everybody else. I can do things other people can't do. Any other comments? Well, what are the consequences of pride? First thing I put up here is shame, if you'll... Go to Proverbs now. We'll read together some of these. In Proverbs 11 and verse 3, in Proverbs 11 and verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. And when you look at this and, and then... You go one verse up, it says, let me start in verse 1, too, so that you get the whole, all three of them. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And then in verse 2, when pride comes, then comes what? What I put up there, shame. But with the humble is what? Wisdom. What is the opposite of pride? Humility. Humility. And here, even when you come down, the integrity of the upright will do what? They will guide them. So there's a difference with the shame compared to the, uh, or with the humility versus the shame. If you look at the next one, contention in verse, I mean, in chapter 13 and verse 10, chapter 13, just a couple of pages over. In chapter 13 and verse 10, it says, By pride comes only what? Contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. What do we really classify as contention? We see that word. We see, we hear it a lot. What, what does it mean to be contentious? Argumentative. Argumentative. Pride, quarrelsome. <laughs> Almost seeking to get into that quarrel, isn't it? The contention. 
or to stir up strife or to stir up things. And a lot of times we in the church overlook a little bit of contention sometimes. Well, that's just the way they are. That's not what the Lord says about contention, does he? It causes strife. It causes division. It causes problems within the church. And here, it's a consequence of pride. Also, I put up there destruction. If you go to 15, just a little farther over in verse 25, chapter 15 and verse 25, it says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. You know, when, when we think about this, that very first verse I put up there out of Isaiah said he's going to bring them down, isn't he? He's going to bring them down low. They weren't there before, but they will be when he gets through with them, won't they? And I think the people that end up being, whether contentious, uh, causing this, this strife and things, I don't think they know the result of pride, do they? I don't think they understand that when, when pride is, is shown, it's a problem, isn't it? And it's something that needs to be taken care of. I also put up here strife. If you go to 28, 25, Proverbs 28 and verse 25, says, he who is of a proud heart stirs up what? Strife. But he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Uh, again, I'm reading out of the New King James uh, Version. Verse 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. When we think about this proud heart, isn't it interesting that so many of the Proverbs, and we'll talk about it later in, in this lesson, that it always comes back to the heart, doesn't it? It always comes back that out of that heart comes this evilness. I'm not talking about the blood pumper, am I? I'm talking about the inner works of us, the inner, the conscious and everything. When you look at that and think about these consequences, in James chapter four and verse six, it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. So there is a difference. There's, it's almost darkness and light, isn't it? It is, the, it is the difference with the humility versus the person that has the pride. David talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. When I've taught the Beatitudes, I always come through on that one and say, the bottom line on that, you've heard me say it, is I need God. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that I'm lowly down here. It means I'm lowly of heart. And I understand my position and who I am and that God's in charge. And when we do that, we have the poor spirit and we also understand humility. Any comments on any of these? David. I heard it illustrated this way one time. 
you look at the English word sin, it's three letters, and the middle of that word is I. So I think what they were trying to illustrate was that at the root of all sin is I, it's me, it's pride, because at the moment of sin, I have chosen me, myself, and I, and what I want versus what God wants. And, and everything we do when we're, when we're sinning in that situation. It, you could almost say pride's involved with every sin, can't you? I think when you look at the aspect of shame or related to pride, it's ironic that pride seeks the glory but ultimately receives shame. So there's irony in that. And then on the contention part, um, you know, think about the different types of relationships that suffer because of pride. Um, it's primarily, the first thing that comes to my mind is marriage. When you think about the cause of divorce, when you really narrow it down, what caused it? Somebody's pride was hurt. Somebody would not swallow their pride or whatever. One of the greatest things, pieces of advice I was given many years ago um, with, with talking with an older brother was, you know, I was t telling him about me and Jennifer just were, weren't really connecting. We weren't fighting. We weren't arguing. We just weren't communicating well. And his advice to me is like, Nate, it starts with you. Husband's in charge of the house. Your pride, swallow your pride. It starts with you. Somebody's got to take the first step. Yep. It, it always has the eye in it, doesn't it? Anybody else? Bruce over here. Oh, we got it. Um, well, as a middle school teacher, if you can believe it, 12, 13, and 14-year-olds think they know everything. And I am shocked. <laughs> so I deal with these pride all the time because I have students, and especially with my students who have disabilities, they think they know everything. And so, and you see that it resonates with their relationships, that they don't keep friends because kids don't like them because they think they know everything when they, obviously, when they definitely don't. So I think with us, too, if we show these characteristics of pride, we're going to suffer with those relationships, like Nate was saying, about not our marriage, our friendships. And how are we going to be able to convert people, bring people to Christ, if we're very contentious all the time and nobody wants to be around us? Great point. You know, really, the, the verses that I saw, Bruce was, oh, John, too. The verses that I saw really didn't get into what the effect is. And that's what y'all are talking about is saying it not only affects that person, but people around him. And that's why I say it can affect a church, can it? Because a person could be, have that such heavy-duty pride like what you're saying, and what do you want to do? I want to stay away. That's not the Christian attitude. John? Segue just right into what I wanted to say. How did it affects the church? You got strife and contention, and just just read First Corinthians, very first chapter. I hear that there's quarrels among you. They were taking one another to court. You know, Paul baptized me, but an unknown baptized you. So I'm puffed up with pride about that. I've got spiritual gifts, rather than using it for the common good, I used it to show off in the assemblies. And the assemblies was chaos. Pride uh, uh, destroyed their uh, the way they uh, partook of the Lord's Supper. So there were a lot of symptoms in the church there, bad symptoms. But the problem was was pride. And it uh, you know if they didn't put an end to it, it was going to destroy that church. Exactly. 
because it's just like was said with the teachers. <laughs> it just spreads out with the kids. The kid's walking down by himself. Go ahead, Bruce. I just can't help but think of the perfect biblical character who illustrates this to a T, and that's Haman back in Esther. All the strife that he caused between Esther and Xerxes and shame that he brought upon himself and his family, the contention that he had with the Jews, and finally the embarrassment and uh, total destruction, including his life and his family. Uh, and, he, and he ends up being hanged on his own tree. Hanged he? on his own tree, and it just it just pops up as as you were going through each of the each of the verses there. Great example. There's a ton of examples, aren't there? Anybody else? Over here. I think of the example of Jesus when he uh, uh, was washing the feet of his disciples and Peter of course said no 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 not me and Jesus says if you can't accept that then you can't be part of the kingdom and uh, um, the humility or lack of pride of Jesus when he had all the right to take on that pride but as an example he relinquished all that pride and, and humbled himself as a servant and that's kind of that's what uh, kind of an action thing that I see as uh, losing the pride and, and being humble is is uh, taking on that servant attitude of whatever you can do uh, and that covers a whole gamut of, of, of areas from physical to spiritual um, service to uh, those that are around us. Brother Mayne took some of my thunder in one of my I'm slides. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I'm going to let you teach when I come to other <laughs> So it's okay. It's okay. No, you're exactly right. John chapter 13, what do we always think of? The humility of Jesus is exactly the point. Anything else? When we go a little farther in pride, it, uh, in, Pro in Proverbs 21 and verse 4, it says... A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Let's go to 1 John 2.16 while we're in the uh, New Testament for a minute. 1 John 2 and verse 16. Let me start with verse 15 in 1 John 2. Said, so do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of what? Life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then in verse 17, what's passing away? The world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides how long? forever. If you look there in, in Romans 1 and verse 30, Romans 1 and verse 30, real quick. Remember, um, the, these are a list of sins going from verse 28 
they did not like to retain the, the knowledge of God. And then when you come down to 30, uh, it says backbiters, haters of God, violent. Mine says proud, uh, boasters, inventors of evil thing, disobedient to parents. And it goes on and on that pride was part of this. When you go a little farther, when you think of 1 Timothy 3, what do you think of? Anything come? Qualification of elders. And when you come to verse 6, it says, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with what? Pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. So that's not only for our leadership. It's exactly what Brother Maine says. We're talking about servant leadership, aren't we? We're talking about taking the approach, of course, not being a novice, they wouldn't be an elder. But the fact is with us is not taking pride to the level that it causes us to have reproach on the church. Anything about these? When you see this written up here like this, what book did this come out of? This is a hard test. It says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Any guesses? I'll give you a hint. It's the Old Testament. That? First Kings, Proverbs. That'd be pretty good. Wouldn't it? You got it right. It's Obadiah. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you exalt yourself high as the eagle, what will happen? From there I will bring you down, says the Lord. You get the uh, gold star. It's Obadiah. What happened with Obadiah? Why, why is this an issue with pride? Or is it an issue with pride? Who is this who is this talking about? What nation? Edom. What had they done to the children of Israel before? They didn't let them pass through, did they? They said if you pass through, we'll draw the sword on you, won't we? When you look at Obadiah, you, it says in verse 4, Though you exalt yourself high as an eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Two things, two things brought that nation down. The first one was pride, and the second one was the way they treated the brothers. That kind of tells us something, doesn't it? It kind of tells us that, what is it, 21 verses tells us that we don't need to have this pride that it can bring down nations. If it brings down a nation, it can bring me down, right? And with that, the way they treated their brothers. When we think of the downfall, 
we need to consider where we are on pride, don't we? It's not always easy. As Brother Maine had talked about before, the opposite of pride is humility. And I put up there that the Lord, as well as the total Bible, puts a premium on humility. This came out of a King James um, Version dictionary. In ethics, it's freedom from pride and arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. That in theology, its humility consists in lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God, self-abasement, penitence for sin, and submission to the divine will. I've never seen that long of a definition for it. When you think of humility, look at Proverbs 3.34, going back into Proverbs again. Proverbs 3 and verse 34. It says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. And then in Proverbs 29, 23, going to the, almost the end, Proverbs 29 and 23, it says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will do what? They will retain honor. When you think about that, in Psalms 25 and verse 9, it says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Because they are receptive to teaching, aren't they? And then in Psalms 9, 12, he does not forget the cry of the humble. That kind of gives you some support to say, he's right there. He's not forgetting us if we keep that humility. When you think about this, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? We see Jesus does what? He takes a little child. He sets the child in the midst and says, unless you're converted, what will happen? Unless you change, you will by no means what? Why does he say you want to be like a little child? Is it because they have good morality? Could be part of it, isn't it? They don't know right from wrong sometimes. But he does an object lesson by standing that child in front of him and say, you got to come here as a child. Now, you don't want the same students that have that pride. I take it that this was a younger child what do, you, what do you think he's meaning with this child? Trust. Trust. Innocence. Innocence. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiving. Big, big deal on that, isn't it? What else? Dependent. Yeah. 
dependence. I also put teachable, aren't they? Sometimes. I'm not talking with teachers right now. I'm talking. (laughs) But sometimes they're willing to learn, aren't they? And there's another part of it, and all of you know this with kids, there's a little bit of freedom from anxiety, isn't there? Who cares? Yeah. The house is burning. Let me get my computer. You know, or my phone. You know, their anxiety level's different, isn't it? They can focus sometimes, other than a computer or a phone. And besides that, it says that, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is what? The greatest in the kingdom. So there's a part of us that says, we've got to reach that point of humility that we accept being able to be teachable, to be dependent, to be forgiving, to understand that that there are other people that are important, that other people will end up taking care of us like that little child, namely the Lord, won't he? John had asked me if I was going to talk about Ben Franklin, but I wasn't going to talk about Ben Franklin and the Constitution. Go ahead. Sorry to jump in before you move on, but I think that Jesus' wording there is interesting in that he doesn't say, I will by no means let you in. He says, you won't enter unless you become like a child. Just, I think, under that pride, we will keep ourselves out with our pride because we won't choose the right things. We won't obey. We won't humble ourselves. And we will do it to ourselves if, if we hold on to that pride we're talking about. It's a great point. We have that responsibility, don't we? You wanting I, you've got to take the responsibility, don't you? Ben Franklin, as I was getting ready to start, the one that I'm talking about was a, an old-time restoration uh, preacher, and he talked about this unless converted, and he said being converted was a change of mind, which said it was faith. He said it was also a change of will, which is repentance, is what he put down. And then a change of status, which is baptism. And we understand that we need to make that change and understand that God's in charge, don't we? Running out of time quick. Well, I'm going to let Brother Maine teach now. In John chapter 13 as he so elegantly put it, is Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, wasn't he? He was a person that would come and only spend a few years on the earth, but change things forever, wouldn't he? And yet, here he is in John chapter 3 that he bows himself down, pours water in a basement, and washes the feet. And as Brother Bain said, Peter thought he didn't really understand what he was doing. But he was teaching a lesson a little bit on servant leadership, but mainly on humility, wasn't he? That even though he could just know what a person thought, he could know if somebody touched his robe, he could know the thoughts of the people that are sitting out there and know and understand what was in their mind before they even said it, 
and yet he bent down to do what a servant would do, wouldn't he? That's, that's humility. When you look at Jesus, and, and we know this passage quite well, he says, take my yoke, learn from me, and he brings in this humility by coming into this forgiving spirit that he is gentle, lowly in heart, and he talks about this yoke. Yokes were not light for these oxen. But he's saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he finishes it, you will find rest for your souls. What do you need to add to this? Any comments? You know, when, when Jesus took on a life to live in order to be crucified, one thing that we know, and we will say this, and, and preachers will say it, that he did not sin, did he? He could have said, just like we sing the song, could have sent 10,000 angels, couldn't he? He could have probably just because in his spoken word, spoken a word and changed things, didn't he? And, and it would have been easy. But what he says to us in the Bible and what we understand, he didn't come to do that. He came to do the will of who? His Father. And when he said, you know, I came to do the will of my Father, he's given us commandments that we need to do what his will is, don't we? And we need to do what the Father's will is. And we need to take pride out of our life and understand who's in charge. That he runs the affairs of man, not you and I. We're nothing compared to what he's done and what he knew and what he could have done and his power. You know, in Matthew 10, when he sent out these guys to go, he said, basically, you can go to Children's Hospital. You can go to Memphis and heal all those children, couldn't you? You can help people that are blind. You can do all these things. But he still told them it wasn't going to be easy that when they bring you before judges, when they persecute you or prosecute you either way, it's going to happen, isn't it? And we have to understand that we don't run things. <laughs> Any other comments? That was my last slide. And, and unless you want me to go back. I, I was going to say that it's interesting the yoke is easy. You know, I can think of the, all of the difficulties that man endures in the name of Jesus. And, but the fact is, when you drop your when you drop the pride piece out of it, then you don't have to worry about it. Just you turn it over to God and let God handle it. And then it is easy because you don't have to worry about, oh dear, oh dear, what do I have to do? Just, just do what the Savior says. Absolutely. See, I knew you could teach that way. Not, no. <laughs> Any other comments? Well, thanks for all the participation and the comments and the diligence here.